before we jump into the text, which will be Matthew 14, uh, which includes everything from the miracle of the loaves and the fishes to a beheading, which is just pretty awesome or not. Uh, I want to have you guys get into groups of two. So two people, uh, one, two, maybe three, if you really like each other, but no more than three. So it can be the person you came with. You don't have to be like, oh, you? Yes, you. Uh, Turn to that person. And what I'm going to need you to do is when on the screen, there's going to be a few images that come up. I need you to tell the other person the first thing you see. Sound good? Like you could say it at the same time. um, And don't be the delayed one. Ready? What is the first thing you see? Say it to the person. All right, cool. How many of you were crocodile alligator people? How many of you saw the boat first? All right, they say that says something about your personality, but we're not going down that road because that's all you'll think about the rest of the time is if that's true about you. And so I'm not doing it. Um, Ready for the next one? The first thing you see when you look at this one. Mm, All right. So how many of you, well, what did you see? What did you see? All right, who saw the man with the mustache? Who saw, what else did you see? A woman, a lady, a girl, a female. Who, who else saw that other one? Oh, look at you guys. Evenly split. I love it. All right. I got one more of these, and then we're... I'll tell you why this matters. Um, all right. What do you see? All right. Who saw... What was the first one? Moses, what did you see? A spy? What's a spy doing? Yep, looking through binoculars. All right, did anybody? Did any kid see something different? Albany, and hold on, don't say it yet. You guys got to say it at the same time. Ready? One, two, three. What? A road with a? Oh, teamwork makes the dream work. I love it. Who saw the car? Who saw a dude with binoculars? And who just loves to be here? Yes. All right, if you've got your Bible open, Matthew 14, uh, the reason I did that is because each of those images, right, when you look at them, they're two different images. When you look at them, uh, you see one thing right away, and it's often not until somebody tells you the next one that your brain sees that piece. And then sometimes, let's be honest, it takes a little bit of work, right? Do you ever have to do that where you're like, I don't see it, I don't see it. Oh, now I see it, right? And then when you look at it, you see that one. Um, the text that we're going to talk about tonight is two stories put back to back that I think you've probably, if you're in this room right now looking around, you've heard both stories, but I don't know if you've ever seen how they fit together. Uh, I know I've never taught them together and I've taught you both of them at different seasons, but I've never seen how they connected. But once I saw it, I was unable to see it any other way. And so we're going to be in Matthew 14. I want to pray for us and then we'll jump in and read these stories and see how they fit together in one image, giving two different accounts of something pretty profound. Uh, God, we're grateful that you gather with us. Uh, We're grateful for this space, the physical space, the room, but then also the presence of our friends that we get to gather with. A spirit breath of the living God, would you uh, enlighten scripture for us? Would you allow us to see with joy new things? Would you convict our hearts where we need that? Would you encourage us where maybe faith seems a little bit more fleeting? Uh, We trust that you can take the words spoken by our friends, the words spoken by the Spirit through Matthew, and do something beautiful even here tonight. And so we ask that you would do that. 
And we ask this in your name, Jesus, and by the power of your spirit, amen. Amen. The first story is the beheading of John the Baptist. Uh, and so you guys know John the Baptist. What do we know about John so far from this story when we've looked at him? Who is he to Jesus? He's his cousin. And is Jesus like his cousin? Do you, do you guys remember any like, pretty profound stories that happened with him? One of them we talked about. He could baptize him, right? Like that's who baptized Jesus. And Jesus had come to him at the Jordan. And John's like, whoa, 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 whoa. I, you need to baptize me. I shouldn't be baptizing you. Jesus gives him a counter argument. He goes, okay, you win and baptizes Jesus, right? And the heavens split open. And the father said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Spirit descended like a dove, pretty powerful moment. Jesus and John, pretty tight, we've seen. Good friends. Uh, the story unfolds, and we're going to look at this one. And, and I want us to see that what Matthew's doing is the same thing Mark does in his gospel, is he's giving us a vision of two kingdoms side by side. The first kingdom, think about it like this, uh, not just emphasizing that John gets his head chopped off, which is kind of a big deal, but also seeing that he's giving us a picture of life in the kingdom of Herod. This is the kind of meal that Herod sets for you. This is the kind of meal that if this is your kingdom, this is what it looks like. Herod had arrested John, verse 3, and bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. For John had been saying to him, it's not lawful for you to have her. Herod wanted to kill John, but he was afraid of the people because they considered John a prophet. On Herod's birthday, the daughter of Herodias danced for the guest and pleased Herod so much that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. Prompted by her mother, she said, give me on a platter the head of John the Baptist. Gross, right? The king was distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he ordered that her request be granted and had John beheaded in the prison. His head was then brought in on a platter and given to the girl who carried it to her mother. John's disciples came and took his body and buried it. Then they went and told Jesus. Uh, there's a lot happening in this text, but what I, I want us to see for the sake of what we're going to look at even next is that Matthew's setting up, this is what the kingdom of the empire looks like. This is what the kingdom looks like when it's ruled by Herod. We get a snapshot into this meal, and it's a pretty gross one. When you go to dinner with Herod, here's what you can expect. It's a meal where he gathered together those with power, prestige, and positions to celebrate his life. It was a meal where the poor and the marginalized were exploited, right? John is a poor prophet put in jail wrongly. And in this evening, he's executed at the whim of someone else. It's a meal marked with violence, cruelty, manipulation, fear, and distress. It's a meal marked by greed, right? Here's what I want, regardless of how it affects anyone else, even to the point of their death. Uh, Matthew's drawing this out in a way that you see the extremes of the kingdom without God. Greed, self-preservation, and the whims of personal pleasure. A meal where people live in distress, fear of man, and personal desires are the highest good, not the flourishing of others. This is the kind of kingdom where even the parties end in death and destruction. Matthew and Mark does it as well, 
put this story first to show where the kingdom of the world ends up, what it looks like when you give allegiance to the empire and all that it brings. And he unfolds it over a meal, which is pretty wild. But they do it in such a way to say that's not the only option though. Violence, corruption, greed, manipulation, oppression, enslavement, execution, personal desires that oppress others. That is a way to live, but it's not the only way to live. And so what we're going to do is look at another story with another meal with another king. Uh, and Matthew's laying this story out on purpose. And so as I read this story, I'm going to leave these questions up, but ask the question here with this ear, because you're going to turn toward each other and talk through this for a little bit. Uh, what kind of king is Jesus? We just saw what kind of king Herod is. But Matthew's now going to paint a picture of a different king, a better king in Jesus. A second, how does Jesus feel about needy people? Because this matters in this story. And then where, what do we learn about discipleship from this story? And so this simple way of looking at the next story, I want us to be listening with these things going through our head because they're all the things that Jesus was trying to form or Matthew was trying to form in the early listeners. He wanted them to see like, what kind of king is Jesus compared to this other king? Like, like how does Jesus feel about people that are deeply needy and pressing in? Because to some level, that's all of us, isn't it? And then third, what do we learn about discipleship? What do we learn about following Jesus in the world that he's created when we're a part of his kingdom? So let me read this story. When Jesus, verse 13, heard what happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Imagine what's weighing in on him. Matthew's highlighting the fact that he just heard that his cousin had been murdered because some girl dancing requested it. And in a grotesque way, the man that he had loved, that had baptized him, that they had shared ministry with over a long period of time, his head had just been walked in on a platter for the guests to laugh at. Hearing this though, the crowds followed him on foot to the, from the towns. When Jesus landed, he saw a large crowd. He had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We only have five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish, Looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. Uh, this is the word of God. I would love for us, uh, you can pair up with another group if you just don't wanna go two on two again. But would you think through these questions? Take a little while. I'm not going to rush you. 
But in that story we just read of feeding of the 5,000, what do you see about Jesus? What kind of king is he? Uh, What is it that you see Jesus feels about needy people? And what do you learn about discipleship or life following Jesus in light of this story? We already got a snapshot of the kingdom of the world through Herod. Now he wants to give us a snapshot of the kingdom of God through this story of a meal with Jesus. Uh, From this story, what kind of king is Jesus or what is King Jesus like? Go ahead and throw your hand up. Brooks will see it. Kenzie has her hand up there. Uh, You want to go first, Ken? Cool. You just run it back to Brooke. You're going to run it back to everybody. You're going to get exercise. You can actually walk. You don't have to run because I'll feel bad if you slip. What kind of king is Jesus, Kenz? Um, Jesus is a good king. Um, he's a provider and he's helpful. Cool. Do you want to show one of those things? Where did you see that in the story? A good king, a provider? Um in where he provides food for um, all the people and where he like helps them even though he's been through like hard times and stuff. Yeah, he helps them even though he is experiencing some hurt himself. That's really good. Cool, who else wants to go? Throw your hand up and Brooks will get you the mic. Um, Jesus is a helpful king and he's a humble king and um, like if he sees somebody that's like somebody is in trouble, he can't like not help them. Mm. Did you say a humble king? Was that the second thing you said? Uh huh. Cool. Thank you. Anybody else? He's a king that has a power that goes beyond what humanity has. Hmm. Yeah. Brittany. Um, in contrast with the other king, Jesus is a king who gives life. Mm. He's helping people to, he's healing them. He's giving them food. So bringing life instead of literally taking it. Yeah. Yeah, food, bread would be the staple of life, right? Like that was the thing that kept them alive, that nourished them. And it's a stark contrast to the king before who just ends life just as viciously with a blade, right? Absolutely. Jay right there. And then, oh, we got back row. Yep. You're going to get your exercise today, Brooks. Thank you so much. Uh, go ahead, loving. I heard that. He's a loving. loving king. The disciples were like, we need to shoot these people away. They need to go find their own food. And Jesus is like, hold up. Uh-uh. Keep them. And then you bring me the food that we have and I'll make more. So, yeah, you know, shows the loving side of them. For sure. You got some back over here, man. Um, I would say he's a king that leads by example because mm. King Herod kind of expected that only him and those in his immediate company could act like him. But mm-hmm. Jesus expects everyone to act like him. It's mm. really good. Jesus is a king who gives dignity to the weak. Does right? what? He gives dignity to the weak. Mm. Herod takes it away. Um, how does Jesus feel about needy people? So you guys hinted around this a little bit, uh, but how does Jesus feel about needy people? Throw your hands up and Brooke will get you the mic again. 
uh, for what you jotted down. Yeah, Julia. Um, Jesus feels that needy people are who makes up like his real community and Herod kind of does the opposite. Mm. Um, Jesus, just, um, it feels like you people, like just, just like, yes. say it again. It cut out on you. It wasn't your fault. Um, it just feels like he has to take care of the needy people. Like he, like it's his job. Yeah. Is this right? Is this, he said takes care of needy people? Even though his friend died, he helped. Hmm. Daniel. Um, Jesus shares his authority with needy people. Um, so he looks at the crowd and sees what they have and then uses what they gave him um, to demonstrate uh, his authority. Yeah. Um, I feel like well, compassion. He feels compassion. Um, and then I don't, this isn't a feeling, but um, abundance, like there's enough, there's more than enough for the need. They have leftovers. Mm. So good. Yeah, how many of us, you can go and have a seat, Brooks. Thank you so much. Do you have one you want to add? Nope, not this time. Cool. I didn't want to cut you off again. Uh, you can hold on to it. We got one more question to do. Uh, how many of us, when it, and the reason I have that in there, because uh, John, in this other story, this is knit into the fabric of it, that John is an inconvenience to Herod. Uh, he's saying, hey, you're out of line with the Torah. Like, you should not be uh, marrying somebody that, that is that close of proximity. He wasn't going after necessarily the morality of all these things. Lots of people got divorced and remarried, but according to the Torah, like they weren't allowed to get married that close to each other. And so he's, he's pointing out you're out of step with the law of the land and the people that you're among. That's not how you ought to live. And so he's an inconvenience to him, right? He, he might be turning a few people against him. People might be murmuring. Yeah, that is kind of shady. Yeah, you shouldn't do that, right? And so what he does is he puts him in jail and he wants to kill him, right? His intent is murder from the beginning. Sometimes we read at the end, like he's distressed. He doesn't really want to do it. Uh, he put him in jail wanting to kill him. Remember that. And he just didn't because other people looked at him and like, he's a prophet. If I kill their prophet, they're going to be pretty ticked. That's what distressed him is these people are going to be mad that I killed their prophet. It wasn't that he was killing John in the first place. And so this guy that's a minor inconvenience or even a major inconvenience gets killed, right? Wiped off the scene when as soon as he can. Whereas Jesus comes in with thousands of needy people around him at a moment where he's emotionally down. Uh, other accounts of this story would say that he had just drawn everybody away and he's like, hey, come on, we're gonna go to a quiet place to get some rest. The disciples had just been out doing ministry too. They came back from a missions trip and they were coming in. They were reporting what they had found. Jesus just heard this news. And so he's feeling down, right? And they go to his place of rest, which sounds like an incredible invitation. And then this story unfolds in the moment where they feel like, hey, maybe I could use some more rest. 
And then Jesus sees these people and that word is so beautiful. He has compassion on them, right? His, and we've talked about it before. He's like, insides turn over. It's that, that feeling that you try to put into a word when you see something's not, not right and you want to do something about it. That they're scattered like sheep without a shepherd. And he knows he is the good shepherd and he can step in. And so he lovingly acts, right? He feels a certain way and then he does something with it. How many times, though, do we have a very different view of needy people than our king? Which, by the way, spoiler alert, all of us are needy people. That's not a different category. That's us. But somehow we look at the needs of others and they seem greater or they seem more intrusive or they seem more burdensome than what we bring to the table a lot of times. But Jesus looks out and has compassion. Uh, we took a road trip this summer. You guys know that we drove uh, around part of the country and it was a blast. We did a lot of things. Uh, we were in Washington, D.C. at one point though. And I remember this because the spirit used it to convict me. And then I had an inner dialogue for like a few hours based on it. Uh, but we were driving along and we we're in Washington, D.C. And we heard sirens in the background. Like you guys know how when you're driving along and you hear sirens, what's the first thing you do when you hear them? Do you guys look around to see where they're coming from? Right? You look around to see where they're coming from. Um, and then you have to figure out, do you, any of you drivers, not children, but drivers, do you play the game of how long can I drive before I'm the jerk that didn't pull over? Do you guys play that game in your brain? Anybody not play that game? All right. I, just, I don't know how other people's brains work. Um, so play that game in your brain. And so in my head, right, I'm going through my mood, like immediately switches because there's traffic. You're in Washington, D.C. I'm like, this is going to be a huge hassle. I'm going to have to pull over. Where am I going to go? And I can feel like that, uh, that intrusiveness of that siren pushing in on me, right? And then the, the row back, a uh, little four-year-old lyrics back there, and his mouth speaks what his mind thinks right away. And right away he goes, oh, someone needs help. In that moment where I was super, I, I could already feel the frustration mounting that there was a siren that was going to inconvenience me, right? He hears that same exact noise and goes, oh, someone needs help. And in that moment, I was convicted that I've been doing that a little bit in my own life, not mirroring King Jesus, but wanting to do away like King Herod would with some of the people that were pressing in on me. And there was a conviction in that moment that was, pretty beautiful. And then I had to unpack that for a little while. So thank you, Lyric, for preaching to me and messing up my life with a sermon. But do we flinch towards the way King Jesus responds or the way King Herod would? Last question that we're going to go over together for right now is from this story, what do we learn about discipleship to Jesus? So each of these stories in the Bible, right, they're always meant to be read messianically or they point us to Jesus. They're also meant to be read missionally. They equip us to be the people of God, living out the mission of God as we follow Jesus together. So what from this story, uh, think about it now through the lens of the disciples. What do we learn about discipleship to Jesus from this story? And I'm gonna let this one go for a little bit longer. So hope you guys have some thoughts. But what do you learn? Jay's got his hand up already. Thank you so much, Brooks. I got uh, loving your neighbor. Um, Jesus obviously heard the JTB died, so um, 
he wanted to go and mourn, but these people needed his love. And um, the disciples were like, we need to shoo him away to give Jesus a space. And Jesus, Jesus was like, no, 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 I need them. I need them to come so that way I can teach you guys. Obviously, he doesn't say that, but teach you guys how to love your neighbor, mm. even in times of sadness. It's, I know somebody's going to say, like, but wait, isn't there a time to grieve? Shouldn't we do that as well? Absolutely. This is not saying don't grieve, push on. Uh, he had time while he went across the road, and then right after this story, he actually takes some more time away. Um, anybody else? So I just want to put that out there, that this does not mean you don't grieve. Uh, Coral and then Brittany. Oh, you have to go coast to coast. <laughs> um, I was just thinking about how discipleship happens over food. Mm. And so providing a meal allowed people to stay longer and continue to be in the presence of Jesus. That's good. Yeah, to go with the, like, the grieving and loving neighbor, I was thinking that um, we learned that discipleship is, um, is a, about tuning into the present moment. So like if it was, well, I'm grieving. And so there's like interruption. Like you said afterwards, then immediately he takes his disciples and goes alone. He gets time to himself to pray. They go on the water. So like there's all these different things. But in this moment, he's tuning into the need that's right in front of him instead of uh, has some sort of agenda he's got to do first. Yeah. I think they're doing this to you on purpose, man. Uh, I think we learn that Jesus is, Jesus uses what we already have that we don't, he uses the little we have and can do a lot with it. So we don't have to have more time, more stuff, more resources. Like Jesus can use the resources we have and do and be, and use it to be a blessing to others. What stuck out to me was the importance of community. Um, if you don't have anybody around you, no discipleship can happen. Um, can happen in um, desolate places. Um, like the disciples are like, what are we supposed to do? Like, there's nothing around us. So they totally just wrote off the area in which they were. Mm. And Jesus was like, no, let's sit down and I'll show you that I can provide even in a, a place or a neighborhood or a part of the city that we've written off as man mm. can't happen. That's good. Johanna's back there. I think it also shows that it's not Jesus following Jesus doesn't always mean that things work out well for us or ideal. Like obviously John died, right? And Jesus didn't, you know, storm the prison and save him. And then also the people showing up when Jesus is grieving, that's not like, you know, living his best life in, in the sense of like yeah. how we think about that, but also that God's at work in all of those things. Um, I see that he, Jesus was um, healing them of like illness and then also like cared about the rumbling in their stomach. Like, mm -hmm. so there's, there's like this kind of almost mundane task of like feeding people 
but then he's also performing these incredible miracles at the same time. So he's like, there's like a, there's like a both there that sometimes discipleship is, you know, just handing somebody some bread or passing it out or carrying baskets around. And then other times there's these miraculous moments where somebody's sick and is made well. I also love how Jesus was enabling the disciples to hand out food and to pass things around instead of him doing it all himself, which I'm sure he could have done, but he empowered the people he was leading. I love how um, when Jesus takes the five loaves and the two fish, he looks up and he gives thanks. Mm. So he's like thankful for the small amount that was given. And then it multiplies into an abundance. Yeah, it's pretty cool. The, the way that goes gratitude and then the gift, right? Like there's gratitude before the gift ever took place. I love that. Yeah, it's so good. All right. Can we all thank Brooks for his lovely job? Hopefully something in that dialogue encouraged, convicted, or even spurred you on to think creatively about what life in the kingdom looks like. Uh, what you guys said are the things that stuck out to me as well. And so be encouraged, one, that as you listen to the word, as we listen to the word together, the Spirit's doing something in that, right? He's bringing up the same sort of things. Uh, the first thing that I just have is in the kingdom of God, the provision of Jesus is more than enough for the hungry and the hurting. So for the masses, think about this. They messed up. Like they went out into the wilderness with no food. Uh, in the words of Caden, that's on them. That's been his new phrase, right? Whenever something goes wrong, that's on you. That's not on me. That's on you. Uh, very simply, the, the disciples weren't wrong to say, can we send them out to get something to eat? This is a half year's wages. That's a lot of money for people that didn't plan ahead and interrupted our vacation. But Jesus, right, in that moment, we see what's his heart towards those who disrupt his plans, who come to him needy, who bring their mess, right? That was their fault. He shows compassion and satisfies their desires. So when we bring our messages to Jesus, when we bring those messes to him, when we come hurt, lonely, confused, looking for a better way to live, that's what they're out there for. I wanna be healed, I need rescue. None of them knew the food was coming. This is the first time he does this one. But they'd known the other things that he had done and they wanted to be a part of a community where those things happen and hear about the good news of the kingdom and come in and understand what does it look like to live this sort of life? And the compassion of Jesus meets them there. Uh, hear this, if you feel like you're a needy person who brings so much to Jesus or to the community of Jesus, you are not too much for him and you are not too much for others. The same spirit that empowered Jesus to give compassion when he was at a low moment is the same spirit who fills your sisters and brothers to show compassion to you at a low moment. And the second thing, in the kingdom of God, the provision of Jesus is more than enough for those who are sent to serve. Uh, here, this fam, by no stretch of the text, uh, Jesus is showing us that life in his kingdom leads to growth for the disciples. But what David said is spot on. He takes what they already have and multiplies that to abundance. And I don't think that's a mistake. I made 
I made the decision in prepping to teach this to let you guys talk more and not fill in a bunch of inspiring stories here. But I want you to think about this for yourself. So make the note. Where have you seen Jesus take what you've already had, what we've already had, and multiply that to abundance? I don't think it's a mistake that it's five loaves, two fish, totals up to seven, the number of completion or perfection. And so it's total fulfillment, total satisfaction. The story of Herod and his kingdom ends in distress and destruction and death. The story of Jesus is one of abundance and life and fulfillment that overflows it's not a mistake in the imagery. Uh, what we bring to Jesus, our loaves and our fish, this isn't just allegorical teaching to say, bring that to Jesus and watch what he does. I think that's the exact thing that Matthew wants us to do as we follow it with Jesus, to bring what we have, to give it to him, to watch what he does, to multiply that far beyond what we could ever imagine. In fact, he often takes the places of our inadequacies, and uses those to highlight our need for Jesus to work. The shortages that we experience, shortages of finance, of time, of money, of energy, of food, of patience, of whatever the resource may be, each of those are moments that the Savior uses to crack our self-sufficiency and expose our need for grace and the empowerment of Jesus himself. Life following Jesus is only lived if we do it in his power. The miracle of feeding 5,000 people would never have taken place had the disciples just started throwing around barley loaves and fish to see what happened. But they brought it to Jesus. He breaks the bread, he breaks the fish, and they pass it out to over 5,000 people and they collect masses of food afterwards. It's incredible to think about. Sometimes the scale of it just kind of blows our minds and we're like, how's that even possible? And the last thing I wanna say for those uh, that say we've been sent to serve, this story highlights something that I think is really important. Uh, the disciples had taken on themselves the burden that was Jesus and that's why they felt overwhelmed. The disciples had taken on themselves. How do we multiply food for all these people? How do we provide for all these people? Jesus had said to them, hey, you guys feed them. And they could have easily said, here you go, Jesus. I've watched you raise dead people. I've watched you take paralyzed limbs and make them work again. I've watched you heal leprous people. I've watched you give the blind sight. I've watched you do all these things, all these chapters that we've been following you. And so I don't know what you're gonna do with it, but here's my loaves, here's my fish, do what you want. But instead, right, they took the burden on themselves to do what only Jesus could do. Do you ever see yourselves in that part of the story? That we think it's up to us to be the ones to multiply the bread, not just to bring it to Jesus and sit and wait with everybody else for the miracle to happen? That we need to be the one to heal the marriage, to fix the addiction, to provide housing, to create jobs? But maybe sometimes what Jesus is asking us to do is to see what we already have, bring that to him and wait for the miracle to happen with everyone else. And then play our next role when he gives us our next step, not to take the full weight that's already on him. And then this story, this meal, I said it was the story of two meals, but it's actually the story of three because the meal with Herod shows us the empty, futile, 
deadly way of following the kingdom of the world that's marked by violence and oppression. We see a beautiful picture of a meal with Jesus where he provides it abundantly. People are participants in that story. They're not pawns that have to do whatever the king wants. We see plenty of provision that exceeds even their expectation that Jesus' grace is more than enough for him. But that points us forward to another meal that would happen in just a little bit where we'd see again the provision of Jesus as he broke bread and said, this is my body broken for you. It will be more than enough to provide you the grace you need. And then he poured out the wine and said, this is the blood of the new covenant, which is more than enough to wash away your sins and bring restoration in creation. And so this meal in so many ways points to the way, it's the same exact model. He looks to the father, he gives thanks and he breaks the bread. Matthew uses that imagery again when talking about the last supper. A beautiful picture that Jesus provides for those that come to him. And so the invitations tonight, first, come to Jesus. Bring your neediness, bring your loneliness, bring your sadness, bring your hurt, bring your fear, and know that you are not too much for the King of Kings, but he is compassionate and welcomes you. And then the second thing, maybe this lands a little bit more for you in this season. Uh, bring your five loaves and two fish, whatever they are, and watch what he will do with it. In that scenario that's been coming to mind, thinking, I, man, this is the scenario where I feel like the need just outweighs what I have to give. Maybe it does, but bring what you have to give to Jesus and watch what he will do. Will you guys pray with me?